You're listening to the NLP Masterclass Podcast, presented by NLP Master Trainers, Tina Taylor and Steve Crabb. Hi, my name is Tina Taylor. I'm a Master Trainer of NLP, having studied NLP with its co-creator, Dr. Richard Bandler, as well as a few other people who are attributed with being innovative within the NLP world. Now, when I first attended my practitioner training more than 20 years ago now, I was amazed at what I could actually do with my mind. I knew at that point that I had found some of the most powerful techniques for personal development and achievement. I know this because I use them to make quantum leaps in all areas of my personal, my personal life, my business, relationships. In fact, everything I did, I could utilize these techniques and everything began to improve. Yes, everything. I know you hear lots of people say those kind of things, but yes, everything. I founded my first NLP training company in 2004, and I trained as many people as possible in NLP and hypnosis. The company grew, and from there I founded other companies to provide training, teaching, individuals, corporations, about the benefits of NLP. Now, lots of people are curious about what is NLP. Um, And I know from people that I've worked with and talked to, some of them will say, well, yeah, I did some NLP, it doesn't work. And when I hear that, I become really curious. What does that mean? It doesn't work. How didn't it work? How can we make it work? How can I use everything I've been taught to help this person realize with just a few tweaks, they can get what they're looking for? Now, let's go back to that question I said lots of people had, you know, what is NLP? NLP was created in the 1970s by Richard Bandler and John Grinder initially. Now, Richard was a computer scientist and mathematician, and John was a linguist. They were fascinated by what enabled some individuals to get results that surpassed those of all others. And they began by studying people in the field of therapy. There were three people at that point in time that were specifically renowned for getting dramatic results in a very short period of time. They were the hypnotist, Milton Erickson, the creator of Gestalt therapy for its pearls, and family therapist, Virginia Satir. They studied these people to discover what they did to create the results. 
they looked at their physiology. They investigated their internal thought processes and the way they structured their language. And then when John and Richard began to use this particular model they developed for themselves, they got the same results as the therapists. And then they began to break it down and create a toolbox of techniques that was called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Now, a lot of people think of NLP as therapy, something that Richard Bandler will deny explicitly. And yes, NLP has applications that have been used within therapeutic situations. And if you think of therapy, you could say that it's the most extreme form of persuasion and influence. A therapist enables someone to change their mind about something, something they may have held on to for many, many years. Now, NLP has been described as an attitude and a methodology that leaves behind it a trail of techniques. The attitude is one of curiosity and experimentation. Curiosity that drives you to discover how somebody does something and then a willingly to personally experiment with it. A willingness to do anything to discover what would happen when you did. This methodology is the very same model that created NLP in the first place. These then provide a set of techniques that produce specific results for yourself and others. I've also heard NLP described as software for the mind. And some people use the metaphor that the brain is the most powerful computer on the planet. One that no one gives you an instruction manual. And if you bought the most powerful computer on the market and unpacked it and there was no instructions, you'd complain. Although personally, I find the instructions with these things are never particularly useful. So people have an experience that their brain runs them. When you can run your brain. And from my experience, NLP is the instruction manual. It teaches you how to use your brain so that you get the results that you want consistently in whatever you're doing. And it's much easier to understand than any manual I've ever come across that comes with your computer. NLP describes how we process information as human beings. It's said that we receive over 2 million bits of information every second of the day. 
if we were consciously aware of all of that information, we'd go crazy. We'd be so overwhelmed. So your mind filters the information as it comes in. It gets filtered in three ways. It gets deleted, distorted, and then it generalizes. Let me give you an example. So right now, you probably weren't aware of the feeling of the shoes on your feet. That is, if you're wearing shoes right at this point in time. Well, at least you weren't until I mentioned it. Before I mentioned it, your mind thought, does this person need to be consciously aware of that information right now? And probably you didn't. So it deleted that information from your awareness. This is also what happens when you can't find your car keys. Until someone shows you they're right in front of you all the time. For some reason, your mind literally deleted the visual information. This is happening all the time. I mean, can you remember something that you said to someone and they acted as if you never said it? They deleted what you said. Now we also distort information. So an example of this could be if you wake up in the middle of the night convinced the noise you hear is a burglar, you search the house, there's no one there, and then you realise it's just the central heating system. It's cooling down just like it has every night you've ever lived there. For some reason, at that point, your mind distorted it. Your heart was pounding with fear, but it wasn't real. When communicating, distortion is the reason for someone reacting in a totally unexpected way to something you said. They literally created a whole new meaning for it. The other way we filter is we generalise. We create generalisations. And this is how we create isms in our lives, like ageism, sexism, etc. And what happens is somebody does something and we generalise the behaviour across all of the people of that group that they belong to. And one of the things that gives you an indication that people are generalising is they use words like, well, they always do that. Everybody does this. Well, I've never known anything else. Everyone has done this. No one. Every time. I remember years ago reading about a scientist who made a very unique door. It looked like a door but the hinges were on the same side as the doorknob. And the doorknob was fake. All you had to do to open the door was push where the hinges should have been. Volunteers were offered money to open the door. They tried the handle. It didn't work. They asked for the key. It didn't work. 
only one person persisted for 20 minutes and finally opened the door. Now, maybe they just gave up, leaned on the door in desperation and fell through. I don't know how they got their money. I just want you to think now, how many of your generalizations prevent you from opening the door to get what you want? Opening the door to new experiences and new learning. Now, people create their reality through their filters. And the things that we experience in our lives also create our values and our beliefs. We get them from our nearest and dearest, our parents, our family as we're growing up. And then later on from our peers, from decisions we've made. And we create all of these filters without even thinking about it. And they're all a result of the experiences we have. And people perceive things differently because our filters are unique to our experiences. This is how you can say something to somebody and it's perfectly clear to you what you mean and they don't understand. You see, we all live in different worlds, the worlds that we create in our mind through the tinted lenses, if you like, of our very own filters. It's any wonder, really, that people manage to communicate at all. Have you ever wondered why the people you're close to, parents, loved ones, children, business associates can be difficult to communicate with. Now NLP teaches you how to recognize your own and others deletions, distortions and generalizations, thus enabling you to cut through to create the results that you're seeking. Now, one of the first set of NLP techniques that I'm going to talk about in this podcast is one of the probably most useful life skills you can learn. It's the ability to build rapport with anyone you choose quickly and easily. Really good salespeople are brilliant at getting rapport. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you're not going to buy anything for somebody you don't have rapport with. Would you help someone you didn't have rapport with? Now, some salespeople are only good at selling to certain people because certain people they're really good at getting rapport with. Now, These people, these salespeople, will tell you selling is a numbers game. That sounds like really hard work to me. But with certain training, you can begin to identify, to connect with anybody. 
I mean, there are people, aren't there? There are people you meet and you just click with them. There's something about them that you just get on. And if you think back to that time now, to somebody that you just clicked with, what was it about that person that had you instantly? Probably they had something in common with you. They were like you in some way. You see, when people are like each other, they like each other. It's like we're out in the world communicating and we're saying unconsciously, hey, this is me, this is my system. Is there anybody else out there using my system? When we find somebody like us, it's so much easier to make that connection, to get rapport. There is a fascinating area taught on NLP courses. It's called some modalities. Now, when we experience the world, we do it through our five senses. That's all we have. When we remember things, when we think about things in our mind, We only have our senses to do this. So we may have some kind of visual representation of something. And that visual representation could have many elements within it. It can be like a freeze frame. It can be a still picture. It could be a movie. It could be life size, smaller than life, clothes. There's so many different elements in the way that we think of something and remember something. Now, those different visual elements, they are the submodalities surrounding how you're thinking of something, how you're remembering something. And when we change the submodalities, it changes how we feel. Submodalities... I guess are how we teach people to change the software you run in your mind. Because they literally change the way you're thinking. Now, you can think in visual elements, as I said. Some people have sounds in their mind. Maybe there are words, maybe they're thinking, they're talking to themselves inside their mind. We could have other things. We may be remembering sounds we've heard, remembering words we've heard. We feel feelings. We smell smells and taste tastes. If you think about a really good meal that you had, just last weekend, I had probably, so far, the most yummy lasagna I've ever had in my life. And as I'm remembering it now, I can smell it. I can can feel it in my mouth. That the texture, the flavours of the the bolognese sauce mingling with the cheese and the pasta and the herbs and the spices... So mm, mm. so thinking about something like that brings all of that back. Now I'm sitting here 
and I'm not eating anything. I'm just remembering something that I ate that was amazing. So just for a minute right now, think about something that you have experienced that was really good. It could be something you've eaten. It could be something you did. So just take a minute and go inside and think. And if it's taking a little while, you can pause now and then restart when you've got that thing in your mind. Now notice what you have going on in your mind right now. Do you have an image, a a visual representation of something? Are there sounds? So if you have a visual modality, is it life-size? Is it larger than life? Is it bright? Is it colourful? Is it black and white? Is it still or moving? And if you've got sounds, what's the volume, the quality? What's the location of the sound? Is it coming from the front, the sides, the back? Now, there's some modalities that we have connected to thoughts, memories, will determine what it actually means to you. The meaning of your thoughts determine how they affect you and how you behave. So learning how to change the submodalities of your thoughts enables you to finally take control of your mind. Now I've just been talking about a few things that I learnt from my NLP studies. Just a small percentage of what we do. The thing is, when we learn how to change our communication, to pay attention to the response that our communication has on those around us, it makes us better communicators. The other thing that happens is as we're communicating, we change the submodalities in the listener's mind. Now, my life is totally different compared to it was before I started learning NLP. And many of my students have used what they have learned to create results that at one point they would have described as miraculous. So, 
to find out more about how you can use NLP. You could attend a practice group. I run one in London with Steve Crabb. And there are practice groups around, for example, in Birmingham, Liverpool, Southampton, that you could attend to get a taste of how it works. For more information or to ask a question, you can email tina at tina-taylor.com or complete the form on the NLP Masterclass website. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the NLP Masterclass podcast, please subscribe and connect with us on www.nlpmasterclass.co.uk and please like and share. Thanks for listening. See you on the next episode.